Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to a chapter-by-chapter review of Stephen King's The Stand. Do you need an affordable source for Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, and more? Make sure to visit Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Listeners of this podcast can use the coupon code THECIRCLE for 20% off their order anytime, and there's always free shipping to the United States. That's secondhandbookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah, and thank you for joining me this week on our journey through the stand. As always, I hope everyone is doing well, staying safe and healthy, and hopefully you guys had a good or at least tolerable week. (laughs) Before we jump into chapters 70 and 71, we are going to do a quick recap, as usual, of chapter 69. Lloyd is experiencing some wavering faith in the dark man, or so he drunkenly tells Whitney Horgan. And it seems like Lloyd isn't the only one doubting Flag's power. Whitney reveals to Lloyd that he and a few others are planning on getting out of Vegas, going to Brazil, maybe. He admits that he would go east to Boulder if he thought that they would have him. Lloyd promises not to tell, but admits that he cannot leave. He owes Flagg too much. Plus, he harbors some belief that Flagg could track down any of his defectors and kill them if he found out that they had left. Meanwhile, Tom continues east through Utah and continues to dream of Nick. In Chapter 70, we return to Trash Can Man, who has finally found what he wanted in the abandoned army base of Chapter 68. He is deep underground in a hallway as dark as a mine pit. He's riding an electric tram. The tram consisted of a seat for the driver and a large carry space. Resting in the carry space was an atomic warhead. Running his hand over its curved surface, he had found it hard to believe that such a cold, dead lump of metal could have the potential for so much heat. He had found the warhead earlier that morning, And now he's working out a way to get the warhead up the stairs. But you know, love would find a way. He also wonders, as he's working, if he's been taking in radiation. In the movies and on TV, you always saw men in protective suits and film badges that turn color if you got a dose of it because you couldn't see it. Radiation was silent. It just settled into your flesh and your bones. You wouldn't even know you were sick until you started losing your hair and puking all the time. Is that what would happen to him? Trash discovered that he didn't care. He was going to get that bomb up. Somehow, he was going to get it up. Somehow, he was going to get it back to Las Vegas. He had to make up for the terrible thing he had done at Indian Springs. If he had to die to atone, then he would die. My life for you he whispered in the darkness and began to climb the stairs again. This particular chapter is very short and to the point. Trash had found an atomic warhead. He considers radiation poisoning, but only for a minute before he dismisses it, because if he dies, he dies. He had to make up for Indian Springs. He had to atone. He says my life for you, which we can only assume is his life for flag. If Flag can't fly his choppers over to the free zone to blast them off the face of the earth, he could just drive a nuke to them instead. 
I guess that makes sense. <laughs> and Trash might be a wild card, and he may be mentally unstable, but when it comes to weapons and fire, he's pretty intelligent. He knows where to look. He knows how to find these things. He starts formulating a plan to get that warhead up from the underground bunker. And he seems to have no fear about handling such a dangerous weapon and what it could potentially do to him. I feel like this sequence, this chapter, didn't necessarily have to be its own chapter. I think that this could have probably fit in just as well at the end of chapter 68 when Trash actually found the army base. Or I suppose if King wanted to end chapter 68 with Trash finding the sign for radiation and then, of course, clapping his hands like a happy child, then maybe this chapter wasn't necessary at all. Maybe leave us in suspense as to what Trash found or what he could potentially bring back. Leave us hanging until we actually see him arrive in Vegas again. But I guess an explanation would have been needed as to what and how Trash found what he did, but maybe not. I think it was obvious what he was looking for. I think it was obvious what he found and what the army base was harboring just based on the radiation sign alone. In any case, um, this chapter's fine. It just felt kind of unnecessary to go back to Trash, basically just to say, okay, he found an atomic bomb or I guess an atomic warhead, and he needed to figure out how to get it up the stairs and so he could take it back to Vegas. Okay, that's fine. I don't know that it was really, I don't really know that another chapter devoted just to that was necessary. However, Trash is not the only one roaming in the desert. Flag is in the desert as well in chapter 71. It's close to midnight on September 17th. He's wrapped in three blankets with a fourth that was swirled around his head, leaving only his eyes and the tip of his nose visible. Little by little, he let all his thoughts slip away. He grew still. The stars were cold fire, which light. He sent out the eye. He felt it separate from himself with a small and painless tug. It went flying away, silent as a hawk, rising on dark thermals. Now he had joined with the night. He was eye of crow, eye of wolf, eye of weasel, eye of cat. He was the scorpion, the strutting trapdoor spider. He was a deadly poison arrow slipping endlessly through the desert air. Whatever else might have happened, the eye had not left him. So the eye is flying high, recalling what Nadine had said to him. They're coming. They're almost in Utah now. And so the eye is searching, going east over the desert, flying with the sound of wind, dead and distant. An eagle, poised in the highest crotch of an ancient lightning-blasted pine somewhere south of Richfield, felt something pass close by, some deadly sighted thing whizzing through the night. And the eagle took wing against it, fearless, and was buffeted away by a grinning sensation of deadly cold. The eagle fell almost all the way to the ground, stunned, before recovering itself. The dark man's eye went east. The highway below became I-70. Towns were huddled lumps, deserted now, except for cats, rats, and deer that had already begun to creep in from the forests 
as the scent of man washed away. So side note, but that particular passage uh, reminded me a lot of the photos that we saw earlier this year when a lot of the countries had gone into total lockdown due to COVID, when the streets and beaches were completely deserted. I don't know if you guys saw this picture, but there was a kangaroo hopping down an empty street that was generally pretty crowded. Dolphins had come closer to shore. Animals felt finally safe, roaming areas where they hadn't been able to before because of the crowds. They And now the crowds were gone. People are gone. People are in their homes. And I've always found that really fascinating that without man around to scare them off, these animals started coming back into these places where we had not seen them before or for a very long time. And that's kind of how I pictured this particular passage with Captain Tripps having decimated the country, all these animals were now coming back in, taking over the earth again, which I found to be really kind of full circle. <laughs> of course, man still exists um, in this book and, of course, you know, in real life. But it's just interesting to see how without us, you know, kind of polluting or crowding or taking over the land, how animals were finally starting to take it back. So yeah, it makes sense in a world like the one in the stand that the animals that had survived Captain Trips, not all of them did, would begin to make the earth their home again. So back to this chapter, Flag's Eye continues to fly, and then just east of Grand Junction, Colorado, he sees a campfire one with a dying fire, and four sleeping figures. So it was true then. The eye appraised them coldly. They were coming. For reasons he could not fathom, they were actually coming. Nadine had told the truth. A growling draws Flag's attention. A dog, its head lowered, eyes glowing like baleful amber gems. Kojak growled at the eye, and they stared at one another, challenging one another. But Kojak was unafraid. His lips were curled, showing his teeth. And then Glenn wakes up to tell Kojak to be quiet, but Kojak continues to growl, his hackles up. Glenn is suddenly uneasy, asking Kojak if someone is there. He tries to wake up Stu, who merely mutters in response and continues to sleep. But the dark man had seen enough. He flies away, with Kojak's neck craning upward to watch him go. The low growls turned into loud barking until they finally began to fade in the distance. Silence and rushing darkness. When Flag returns to himself, he has a sense of vertigo before he is one again. The eye is gone, leaving him only with his own eyes. They were definitely coming. Had the old woman told them to come? Would they listen to her if she, on her deathbed, instructed them to commit suicide in that novel way? He supposed it was possible that they would. What he had forgotten was so staggeringly simple that it was humbling. They were having their problems, too. They were frightened, too. And as a result, they were making a colossal mistake. Was it even possible that they had been turned out? He lingered lovingly over the idea, but in the end, could not quite believe it. They were coming of their own choice. 
They were coming wrapped in righteousness like a clutch of missionaries approaching the cannibal's village. Oh, it was so lovely. Doubts would end. Fears would end. All it would take was the sight of their foreheads up on spikes in front of the MGM Grand's fountain. He would assemble every person in Vegas and make them file past and look. He would have photographs taken, would print flyers, have them sent out to L.A. and San Francisco and Spokane and Portland. Five heads. He would put the dog's head up on a pole, too. And for the first time since Nadine had goaded Flag into killing her, he laughed. He also slept well that night, and in the morning, he sent word to triple the watch on the roads between Utah and Nevada. They weren't looking for the man going east anymore, but four men and a dog coming west. And they were to be taken alive. Taken alive at all costs. Oh, yes. So we see the eye again. This eye had apparently failed Flag when it came to finding Tom as the third spy, but it hadn't abandoned him despite his fears because he's able to track down Glenn, Stu, Ralph, and Larry, and of course, Kojak. He confirms that Nadine had been telling the truth when she warned him that they were coming for him. Kojak is able to sense Flag's presence. He sees the eye in the darkness. The two stare down one another, and Bikojak is amazing. He is not afraid. He's protective of his people, and his growling eventually wakes up Glenn. Glenn can't sense or see the eye, but he is well aware that Kojak sees something. Rather than stay, Flag takes off. I'm not sure if he would have been able to do anything to the four men in that particular state or not, but I am thinking no. I love that Kojak was able to see the eye. Um, We always kind of think that dogs can see things that humans can't. And I think we already know that Kojak is special. So this was kind of a nice little face-off between the eye and Kojak, who did not back down. But Flag does think that this is good news, knowing that four men from the free zone are on their way to Vegas, because this is his chance to silence the doubters, to prove to them Those that are losing faith in what he can do and that he can stay on top, this is his time to show them that he is still a man to be feared. To flag, all he needs to do is execute these men, stick their heads on spikes in front of the MGM, and that would leave no doubt as to who is in charge. That would leave no doubt as to who they need to fear. And hell, he's going to kill Kojak too, which you never kill the dog. Don't ever kill the dog. (laughs) I can watch movies (laughs) where the entire population is gone, but you don't kill the animals. Anyway, back to the chapter. (laughs) Flag decides that he's going to take photographs and he's going to send them out all over the West. Obviously, not everybody devoted to him is in Vegas. They're obviously, we already knew this from when they were trying to find uh, the judge that they're in Oregon, they're in California. He's got like the whole West kind of under his belt. He wants to send these photographs to him to show, look what I can do to you. So the talk, the whispers, the fear that Flag was losing would be replaced by the simple fear of Flag. And he is delighted He's had a few rough moments, sure, but now things are starting to go his way again. 
And this time, there would be no more fuck-ups. The four men were to be taken alive at all costs. Of course, he told this about ju- the judge, and Bobby Terry screwed that up, but this is by far more important to him. And like I said in the last episode, it does feel odd to me that Flag has the ability to track down people with his eye, except for Tom Cullen, and take care of the threat that they pose. But he isn't doing that with Trash Can Man, despite what Trash has done. It's clear that Flag doesn't consider him to be that big of a threat as the men that Nadine had warned him about. Flag is too wrapped up in the possibility of the Free Zone sending more people his way to try to take him out, which of course makes sense. But Trash is a lunatic who has already killed five people, including his pilots, and he just found an atomic warhead. So I'm just saying maybe Flag ought to at least send someone out there to find Trash Can Man, but I guess you do you, walking dude. <laughs> I did find it interesting to see the eye again, to see how it moved through the world, Because before this chapter, we only saw it from other people's points of view. Um, We do know that it existed. We know how Flag used it. But we were never inside the mind of the eye. I think that the only people who have seen the eye while awake have been Kojak and Mother Abigail. I know others have seen it during their dreams, like Harold, but I can't recall if any other characters had seen the eye themselves when they were conscious. I I don't think that they did, but um, I think that there's definitely something special about Kojak, and I think we already knew that, considering he survived the super flu when the majority of uh, dogs did not, and he did manage to make his way all the way to Boulder from Massachusetts to find Glenn. It's very clear that Kojak has a role to play in The fact that he's with the four men at the end of this book uh, tells me that he is important, just as the four men are important. Kojak, the best dog that there ever was. I love Kojak. So Flag is once again feeling pretty confident about his ability to keep a stronghold on Vegas. And now he's tripled the lookouts for the roads leading into the West to make sure that the four men and Kojak are taken into his custody. Do Glenn, Larry, Stuart, Ralph know what's coming, what's waiting for them? Probably not specifically, but I think that they know that they're walking into danger. They know that this isn't going to just be they walk into Las Vegas and flag explodes. (laughs) It's not that easy. They don't know what they're supposed to do. All they know is what Mother Abigail told them to do, to leave the free zone with the clothes on their backs, no food, no water, and to make their stand against Flag. And you know, when she told them that they had to go west, she also told them that one would fall before they reached their destination, though she could not see which one it would be. But next week in Chapter 72, we'll find out who won't be making it to Las Vegas with the remaining three men. So that is it for those two chapters. Um... Like I said, chapter 70 with Trash, I felt could have been condensed into chapter 68, but I did enjoy chapter 71, being able to see the eye again, knowing that Flag has been able to confirm what Nadine told him, and he is now aware um, aware <laughs> of who is coming, and he can be prepared. 
which does not really bode well for our four heroes and the best dog ever, Kojak. And that's it for this week's episode, you guys. Another short one, but, you know, these chapters seem to be getting a little more tight. They are moving things ahead quickly, including next week's chapter, even though it's a bit longer, but it's still a good one. So I hope that you guys stick around. If you are enjoying the podcast, you can leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate every single one that I've gotten so far. Thank you guys so much. I've been, I, I'm going to make sure to give you all um, a proper shout out um, in the next few weeks when this podcast starts to wind down. I do appreciate you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can email me at thecirclecloses at gmail.com. You can find me at The Circle Opens on social media or at thecircleopens.com, where I have been posting quite a bit more casting news and um, about the stand, obviously, from CBS All Access. The cast will also be making an appearance at the New York Comic Con Virtual Con. They'll have a panel with the cast and uh, showrunner Benjamin Cavell and executive producer Taylor Elmore. I'm really excited for that. NYCC is October 8th through the 11th of 2020. I will be sure to be updating the circleopens.com and social media with news and some fun facts from that particular panel. If you guys aren't able to make it, it will be on YouTube as well. And I think that's it, you guys, now that I've rambled on a little bit. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you all have a fantastic week. Rest in peace, Ruth Bader Ginsburg champion of women, we are going to miss you greatly. M-O-O-N. That spells. See you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>